postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. Diaper Rash it can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com or look for it at amazon.com. 
Hello, Mighty Parent or Parent-to-be. Welcome to Birthful. I'm Adriana Lozada, and for today's birth stories, I'm going to be talking with Mariah Robinson, who has had four very different birth experiences. Her first three were hospital births, with two of them being inductions, two being vaginal, and one being a cesarean birth. And then because she couldn't shake the feeling that there had to be something more to birth than what she had experienced— For her next pregnancy, Mariah dove deep into all the information. She gobbled it up, everything she could find. And she set things in motion to prepare to give birth at a birth center with midwives. Now, in the context of our Care Provider series, Mariah's experiences really exemplify a lot of the practices that I talked about with Robin Elise Wise during our previous episode on why choosing the right care provider is crucial for your pregnancy. I mean, Mariah even switched up her providers late in her pregnancy. And along the way, finding all that information, watching videos, reading, figuring out her choices, really helped Mariah feel more confident in her ability to have an unmedicated birth, which when she started out, she did not think that was for her. It also helped her husband and her mom understand why having a different experience was so important for Mariah and how they could show up for what was needed when Mariah ended up having an unexpected home birth. You're listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Hello, Mariah. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am really happy to have you here and share your stories. And I know there's a lot to, you've had four births. Um, I have, yes. And we're going to focus primarily on the last, the most recent one. But can you first tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Mariah and I am mother to four. I had three boys and then we we ended up having our baby girl, which is a whole story in itself. But just a little bit about me, my husband and I, after my first son was born, we started a company um, ourselves that makes nursing ponchos. And that's what we sell together. And then I also am a stay-at-home mom to my three, my four children now, my three boys and my little girl. How did this whole journey start? Uh, Yes, my husband and I got married, I guess by today's standards, fairly young. I was 24 and I came from a big family and I wanted to have kids pretty early on. So uh, around right around our two-year anniversary, we had our first son. And that birth experience for me was pretty traumatic. It was long and it was in a hospital and I had a very uninvolved nurse. My husband was holding legs and counting through contractions and he was posterior, pushed for a long time. I had an episiotomy. It was just really, it was really rough. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And did so that was at a hospital with an OB? That was at a hospital. Yes. And I'm guessing you didn't have a doula. I didn't have a doula. I didn't really do much to prepare. My whole mindset was really funny. I just was like, well, I'll just show up. I trust the doctors and they'll let us know what we need to do. And it's really out of my personality. I don't know why I was so lax about the whole thing, but I really was. I did not prepare myself for what birth was. So then you say that this was traumatic for you. In what way was it traumatic and how did you process that? So it was a really long labor. I labored at home for 24 hours before I was, before my contractions were close enough to go to the hospital. I got there at about a three or four, I can't remember, centimeters dilated and um, labored through the night, gave me an epidural and the epidural was working really well up until, up until I was about 10 centimeters dilated. And at that point I could start to feel some things and I got nervous about it. And I told the nurse and she said, 
well, we want it to wear off enough that you can feel yourself pushing when to push, but it just kept wearing off and wearing off. And they never gave me any more medication. And at that point is when, for whatever reason, she really checked out and my husband and I didn't really know what we were doing. And so we just kind of took at face value what she was telling us. And it just became a really emotional situation where I was pushing and I was in a lot of pain and I wasn't prepared for it. And my husband, my poor husband, you know, holding my leg, I'm sweating and, and the baby was stuck and he was stuck in the birth canal. I pushed for two and a half hours in that level of emotional. I just was so in so much pain, didn't know when that was going to be over. And he was born. Like I said, I, I got an episiotomy and which was very painful for me. And, um, I don't know. I just got done with that. And I thought, man, that was terrible. <laughs> I remember sitting in the hospital that night with my husband, looking at each other and saying like, well, we're not going to do that again. Like that was awful. <laughs> and we just didn't know that there was another way, I guess, at that point. And I'm sorry that that was that way. I, I, it happens some more often that we definitely like. It should never happen. But when people say, oh, that was so awful. And that's how you start parenting, right? You start parenting from a sort of wounded place. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. But yeah, it took me a while, I guess, to answer your question about how did I get over the the kind of trauma of that, I really think that it, it wasn't until this fourth baby was born that that happened. Mm. Long journey. Yeah. Yeah. So then, okay, so you're pregnant again with your second boy. What were you thinking at that point? Were you going into it thinking, I'm going to prepare differently? What happened? So surprisingly, no. I don't know if just the time like kind of made me forget. I knew that I wanted a sibling for this baby. And I did think about having a doula at one point. I just, I never really went into that side of birth. So I was still kind of unfamiliar with what that really looked like. And so my big thing was just, I want to make sure the epidural works. I want to make sure the epidural works and understanding that I really don't have, you know, any control of that, but I actually was induced for that second birth because my, my mom lives out of state and I just wanted to be able to plan and have control. And so I was induced a couple of days past my due date. Um, it was actually a very different experience than my first one. I did have really involved good nurses and my epidural worked well and I couldn't feel anything, which was all what I thought I wanted. And so it wasn't necessarily traumatic in the way that my first birth was, but I also at the end of it felt very uninvolved with the whole process. So I was like, okay, well, that's what I guess the goal is for most people, but I didn't necessarily, that wasn't my you know, dream birth experience either, but I didn't really know why I felt that way, if that makes sense. It does. You're thinking this should be different than what it is. Yeah. But at that point, like I said, I hadn't done any research into unmedicated birth. I didn't really know anyone personally who had ever had one. So I just didn't even really realize that that was an option yet. So in terms of an induction, how long, because the first one you labored for 24 hours before even getting it to the hospital and we didn't talk about how long was it from the hospital until your baby was born? Uh, total is about 36 hours, my first labor. And then with this one, with the induction, the second one, how long was this one? Um, it was actually pretty quick. I want to say I was induced at like 7.30 in the morning. He was born around 5, I think, that evening, something like that. That so is it was pretty, pretty uneventful. Yeah. yeah. And I think because it was my second, I was that much more ready. I was induced past my my due date. So I, my body was a little bit more ready than it would have been, you know, if I was induced early. Right. So you were feeling this was a better experience, but sort of lacking something. Yeah. 
Like I remember my mom was there for this birth and my mother-in-law was there. And I remember when it came time to me to push, they were like wanting to be involved and help me through it. And I was like, you guys, I'm fine. Like I couldn't feel anything. It was calm, but it, I just felt like I didn't do anything to get him there. And I, I didn't know what that was yet. If that makes sense. I didn't know what I was missing. Mm -hmm. It does make sense to me because I know what's coming. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So then third baby, how was that one? So third baby was a really unique experience. My son actually has a heart condition called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. So I was 34 weeks pregnant when he was diagnosed with that. It's a pretty severe heart condition. And so when we got that diagnosis, we found out that he would have to deliver at a specific hospital next to a children's hospital in Los Angeles that he was, he would be directly transferred there after his birth and he would need open heart surgery at three days old. So I was with an OB that I really liked. I then was essentially forced to switch to an OB a few weeks before my pregnancy and they required, I fought them and fought them, but they required that I was induced at 39 weeks because they didn't want me to go into labor spontaneously because they wanted it to be a very controlled environment when he was born because they needed a whole NICU team around him. And so I was induced at 39 weeks. It was a very, very rough experience. Uh, long story short, my body was so not ready to go into labor. I sat on Pitocin for two days. And I never even started contracting till I was like at the highest doses of Pitocin. And then the baby's heart rate was, they were very, very concerned about his heart rate because of his condition. And so anytime his heart rate would start to drop or raise, they would completely take me off the Pitocin and start back at square one. I'm going to interrupt you to explain a little bit of that because I think that needs to be unpacked of how Pitocin gets dosed. And usually they start at the lowest doses. So Pitocin is great in the sense that it it responds very quickly. So either plus or minus, like if you add to it, you'll feel changes will usually happen pretty quickly. Or if you take it out, if you're having contractions because of it, they'll stop. So they started at a very low dose, one or two. Mm -hmm. And depending on how your contractions or how you're progressing, they can up it by one or two every depends on the hospital protocol half an hour 45 minutes and then they do depending on how quickly they move it there's like a total amount you can get in a certain amount of time so if they did it every half hour you can only go to a certain amount and if they're going every 45 minutes you can go a little higher but the top is and because there's variations i can't quite remember but it's something like depends on the hospital 30 something or 40 something but they start with one or two. Yeah. So it takes a long time to get up to the top. Right. If you were like up to 28 and then heartbeat change and they brought you to nothing, they turned it off, they got to start over at two. Exactly. And that's what was happening. So I wouldn't even feel anything. So I wanted to say it was like 2025 when I even started to feel anything. And then his heart would drop. And so they would start. And so it was like, yeah, another like five or six hours, even longer before I would even start to feel anything again. That is long. And yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, so I did that for, it was like two days and I hadn't eaten and I was just sitting in the hospital. And finally at, so I can't even remember the time, but it had been for sure at least 48 hours. Um, the OB came in and she said like, you're out of two, you're really not progressed at all. And I just was like, oh my gosh, let's just, she said like, let's keep going. But if, nothing's happening by tonight. We're just going to have to give you C-section. And at that point I had never had a C-section before. 
And I just thought like, this isn't going to happen. I'm going to sit in the hospital forever. And so I consented to a C-section and that was a rough experience. (laughs) Having not had one before, it was very, it was so medical. I would, they literally strapped my arms out to the side and got him out. And he was, he did, was doing really well. And I guess my mindset during that was he just needs to be okay. So I just need to do what I need to do to let him be okay. So he ended up being a C-section. And also, I'm sure you were thinking about other bigger considerations in terms of like, if he needed to have open heart surgery within a few days, what that would look like for you guys, right? It wasn't just a birth and you're taking him home. It's a birth and then more medical, big issues. Yeah. That's a lot to deal with. Yeah. It was. And so this is all very unique circumstances. Um, Normally when a person has C-section, they get to go home and rest, but I didn't. I was in the hospital without my baby for two days. And then as soon as I got released from the hospital, I just was sitting at another hospital all day long with him. And so it was a rough recovery for that reason that I just didn't ever really get you know, I was sitting down, but I was sitting on a hospital chair and in another hospital. And so it was days and days before I could even walk upright. And that whole process was so, I just couldn't believe how different it was from a vaginal birth. You knew you were going to have an induction, but had they talked to you about the possibility of having a cesarean and what that looked like for you to prepare? Or was it, did you find it came out of the blue? I feel like In hindsight, I should have prepared either way. I was very emphatic that I wasn't going to have a C-section and they originally were pushing, let's just do a scheduled C-section. And I was like, absolutely not. There's no reason for that. I've had two vaginal births. And so, no, I was not prepared for a C-section. There's all these things that could have prepared me to have an easier recovery that I didn't really know about. And so in hindsight, yes, I should have definitely prepared for both alternatives. It's tough because it's, I understand the idea of like, let me not think about it because then it'll happen. But I also understand the idea of let's prepare so then it doesn't happen. Like let's have a right. spare, right? It's, yes. yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it's true. <sighs> And so you find yourself pregnant again. What did you do differently this time? So this pregnancy was a complete surprise. I We had our three boys and my husband was done <laughs> unless we could figure out a way to have a girl. I really, really wanted a girl. I have four brothers and no sisters. And I just wanted a girl with all of my heart. But I thought if I can't, guarantee a girl, then I'll just be happy with my three boys. We were even were talking about adoption and what are we going to do to get this little girl in our lives? And I ended up pregnant and it was such a shock. We were so not planning to be pregnant, but then it came down to like, oh my gosh, is this a girl or a boy? And that was such an intense time for us. Like we, I just thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this if it's another boy. And so we ended up going to the ultrasound and when we found out it was a girl, it was just incredible. And so going into that birth, I remember I was driving to San Diego with my husband and for the first time, just looking online and looking at like, okay, what are my other options? I knew that I didn't want to see section again. So that was really my driving motivation. Initially, I wanted to have a VBAC, but we're in kind of a unique area where there are not a lot of options for VBACs. There aren't a lot of hospitals around here. And so I just kind of started to look. And then I started to look at the risks of VBACs, of how supportive you know doctors tend to be of VBACs. 
And so I, uh, I was referred to a doctor who I was told was supportive of evacs and I'm not sure what the disconnect on that was, but I went there and I went to the appointment and I was, I was like in the stirrups ready to do my initial ultrasound. And she said, Oh, by the way, are you wanting to evac? And I said, yeah, that's, that's why I came here. And she said, Oh, we don't do those anymore, but I can still do your ultrasound. (laughs) And so I was like, Oh, well, that's the whole reason I'm coming here. Um, that was a really discouraging appointment. She told me that because I was 33 years old, having this baby, that I was borderline geriatric, that I was high risk to have a VBAC, and that it would be difficult for me to find a person who would take me as a transfer patient to to do a VBAC. And so I said, like, well, I'm obviously not going to, you know, I need to leave this place because that's not even an option for me. And I started looking for a doctor who did a VBAC and I found one. But at the back of my mind, I always had this thing of like, what if like something in the back of my head was kind of pricking of an unmedicated birth? What if there's more to this experience? And I don't even know really where that came from, but it just was kind of there. And so I was going through this process. I met with this doctor, which I guess was a process. I had to find someone who would take my insurance, who would accept a transfer patient and also who did VBACs. And that was kind of the trio that was, it took me weeks to find a doctor who would even do that, but I did. Um, But then I was talking to a friend one night and she was the first person I had ever known personally who had had an unmedicated birth and she had a water birth in a birth center. And she was just saying to me like, you know, this is really worth looking into. It is such an amazing experience. She said, watch the business of being born. It might change the way that you're thinking. And so I did. And I just was floored by that documentary and kind of the whole way that the birthing world is set up with OBs versus midwives. And that was really, that was really eye-opening to me. Yeah, and before that, you'd never consider a midwife before. I'd never considered a midwife. I'd never considered, I was, I, I was intrigued with the idea of an unmedicated birth, but I was also terrified of it. And so for a long time, I tried to find a hospital that would allow me to have a more natural birth experience, but also an epidural. <laughs> I like wasn't fully committed to the idea of not having an epidural. It just was scary to me. And so I did a lot of research and I guess there are some hospitals in different areas of the country that will allow for both. They're like a birthing center environment, um, but nothing on the West coast. And so I watched that documentary and I thought, okay, I'm going to start down this road and see. And I was really pumped and I came home and I talked to my husband and I said, I think I want to have this baby in a birth center. And he was very, he was not, he said like, this is crazy. I don't know why you would want to do that. And I was really kind of surprised by his reaction. And then as we kind of both calmed down and talked about it, he said like, I just am worried about you. I'm worried about your safety. And I don't know that I trust a midwife. I don't know even what a midwife does. And he was so unfamiliar with that process. And I was so unfamiliar with that process that I was like, okay, that makes sense, you know, that you are concerned with my safety and the baby's safety. Like, I can get on board with that. Let me see if I can find a hospital that will kind of give us that experience. So there was a hospital in San Diego, and I started to the process of transferring there. And my insurance is a little bit unique in that it's a it's called a share plan. And so doctors were very wary of it. I called the doctor and they said, you, I was about 28 weeks along at this point, And they said, for you to even be seen by your doctor, you are going to need to come in with a full deposit. And so I had to then start the process with my insurance to get that deposit before they could even establish care with me. 
And it took like six weeks for them to get that money and all the finances in order. By the time I got to, I got in contact with this um, hospital again, they said, you have to establish care by 34 weeks. I was like 33 weeks and six days. And they said the next appointment with the midwives is in two weeks. And if you don't establish care with them by 34 weeks, then you have to see ROB and you're no longer a candidate for a midwife program. And so at that point, I was feeling really discouraged and I kind of decided like, well, I guess I'll just go back to my original doctor who was supportive of VBAX and I'll see if she is supportive of unmedicated birth. And I went there and I talked to her and I felt like she was very much telling me what I wanted to hear, but I didn't feel a lot of sincerity from what she was saying. And I started to feel like, I don't know, like maybe I need to figure out another another option because none of these options seem to be panning out with with what I was hoping to have. And that is a lot to be like searching and going back and forth and trying to finagle while, you know, at this point you're like 30 weeks pregnant or more. No, you're 30, almost 34. Yeah. 34. Oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So I was 34 weeks pregnant by this time. and, And yeah. And I had said to her like, you know, will you support me having, you know, going to labor spontaneously and will you support these things? And she would say things like, yeah, but if you don't go into labor on your own by 41 weeks, then I'm going to induce you. And so I felt like in some ways she was maybe supportive, but when it came down to it, I knew that it would be a real fight for me to get all the things that I wanted. And at this point I was doing tons of research and I was learning about delayed cord clamping and I was learning about all of these extra things that were so amazing in birth that really weren't usually part of a hospital experience that I wanted that were becoming more important to me. And so I just kept saying to my husband, I just want to be able to make my own choices about my birth. And I was so surprised how, how hard that was. And isn't it crazy that that's what it comes down to, that you have these choices and have to do so much legwork to find somebody who says, this is your experience. You're an expert in your body. I, you know, I'll keep you safe, but I'll walk this experience with you. Right. You know, I trust that you will make the best choices for Because it's not like if something's wrong, you're going to say no. You, you already went through a cesarean because your baby needed to get out and be. And, and clearly you were like the safest thing for him. So it's not... It's just that whole thing about it is healthy baby, healthy mom, but we can have healthy baby, healthy mom and good experience. Yeah. And the other thing that I I did want to bring up, I was really surprised how much noise there was around unmedicated birth. And that was something that I really wasn't prepared for. I knew that it wasn't necessarily the conventional choice, but I was so surprised how many people had really strong opinions about it. And that was hard. That was unexpected. And that was really hard. I felt a little bit like a lone man on the island during that time. I kind of just started to keep it to myself because I didn't want to hear what everyone had to say about it. Um, But I just wanted to bring that up because for people that are kind of considering this option, just I guess to make it known that that really is common. And I'm a part of some Facebook groups. And so often really just discouraged moms will come on there and they'll say like, I just can't believe how many negative opinions I have about this choice that I have to go unmedicated. 
Like it's anybody's business. <laughs> I know. And that's what I kept saying. I just kept saying like, I can't believe how many opinions there are about something that does not affect them. It does not affect them. It is not, you know, um, but I just, it was so rare that I would bring it up to a person that would just say like, good for you. I hope it goes well. And that just meant the world to me when somebody just was supportive. And I understand, like, I definitely understand where my husband was coming from. It was very foreign to him. And he was really worried about, like I said, that my safety, the safety of our child. Um, and then even my mom, I remember bringing it up to her and I was so, so nervous to bring it up to her because I didn't know how she would feel about it. And the more that I researched and the more that I learned, the more confident that I grew in this decision, I started to not care as much. And I started to feel like, I know best. I know what's best for my, or at least I know what's best for me and what's best for my experience. And I am starting to feel prepared. But at the same time, I still did really have that fear in the back of my head. In our house, we are big on hydrating. Aside from all the important health benefits, I find that if I'm not well hydrated, I get these brutal headaches. So it's really important for me to hydrate. However, I do not like the taste of tap water and I cannot bring myself to buy bottled water because of all the plastic waste. So for years, we did pitcher filters, but then we switched to AquaTrue water purifiers. And after tasting the deliciousness of their truly clean water, we are never going back. What makes AquaTrue so unique is that they use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. This process removes 15% more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, also known as forever chemicals, that are found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. You can also forget about having to change filters every two to three months because AquaTrue filters last from six months to two years. Now, if plastic bottles are your thing, just one set of filters from AquaTrue's classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, my listeners receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code BIRTHFUL at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code B-I-R-T-H-F-U-L. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. 
Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. I want to talk more about this fear. You started to overcome the fear through information and feeling confident, but what got you all the way there? So there were a couple of resources and honestly, your podcast was so helpful for me. I would go to the gym and I would just listen to anything and everything I could. Birth stories were really helpful for me. Watching natural births on YouTube and seeing like a calm experience. So, and even like uh, this last week I was talking to my friends and hearing the way that we talk about birth is such a scary, we talk about our scary experiences and we talk about all these negative things in birth. And I think it's very much part of our society. Um, you start to assume that that's just what birth is. And for me, it was really eye opening to watch these like home births or these water births or these births and birth centers where these women were so prepared and so calm. And I just didn't even know that that was an option. I thought, in order to get rid of over this fear, I have to be okay with kind of this crazy experience. And I started to realize it doesn't have to be a crazy experience. Um, so that was really powerful for me as well as understanding pain in childbirth. So you have a podcast and I, I can't, is it Wapio that talks about pain in childbirth? Wapio talks about the holistic stages and rethinking pushing. Um, we, I have two on pain. I have Rhea Dumpsey who talks yes, about the purpose her. of labor. Okay. Yes. So I probably listened to that podcast five times. It was life-changing for me. And just that understanding that there is purpose in the pain of childbirth in a way that there isn't in anything else in life was so powerful for me. And I started to really think about it as like a marathon. And I would say, you know, to my husband, this is, you know, if a person had prepared for a marathon and they got five miles in and started to get tired, we wouldn't say to them like, oh, just stop. Like that's something that was important to them. That's something they prepared for. It's something that they want to accomplish. And we respect that choice. And looking at childbirth that way was so transformative for me that I it started to really take that fear away. And I started to shift from, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this to, I really think that my body was made for this and I'm going to trust that my body was made for this. Yeah. I love Rhea's episode because I think like, I love her book. I love, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes, uh, the episode, because yes. it is a great listen for everybody. Oh my um, gosh. It really that, is. Yeah. That point that you made of how we talk about birth, we're always putting it in this negative light that the experience, right, is beyond painful and way more than you can deal with so let's numb it 
and 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 that's it. There's not an other option. But once you started seeing that that other option existed and preparing yourself for it, then it wasn't an either or proposition. It wasn't a if I'm not going to do an epidural, then it's going to be suffering. Period. Yeah, and I think that's very much the way that people look at it. Is like. Why would you do that to yourself? Well, why would you put yourself through that? That's what modern medicine is for. And I think it's also something that she talks about is that we're really taking away this transformative experience from women. And having gone through it, I can 100% say that that's the case. And just that confidence of knowing like, if I can do this, I can do a lot of things. Like I'm stronger than I really ever realized that I was. And it's such a small amount of people that even will look that direction. I feel like it is something that is really being taken away from, from women all over, especially in the United States, that, that people really do have the ability to do this amazing thing, but that because we're so fear-based, people don't even really look that direction. Mm-hmm. And so you started becoming more confident, you were getting more knowledge Was your team starting to jump on board as well? Did you tell your mom? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had told my mom before. And I don't want to say that she wasn't supportive. She was. She just was nervous about it. She just, you know, I'm her oldest. I'm her only girl. And she just, she had five C-sections herself. So the whole thing was just very foreign to everyone. And so jumping back to my OB, I had talked to her. And like I said, I just didn't get a great vibe after I talked to her about unmedicated birth. So I started to talk to local doulas in my area about who had worked with patients under her care and started to hear some not great things. And so somewhere along the line, I had contacted a birth center, I'm sorry, a midwifery school. And someone had said to me, you know, you can contact them and they might have a doula in training or somebody who can come talk to you about this. And somebody had given me a call and said, look, I have a friend who's a doula. She's amazing. Why don't you give her a call? She'll be a good resource to you. So I called this person. At this point, I was 36 weeks pregnant. So I was really starting to get really nervous about everything. I just felt like I didn't. I I remember the night before I talked to this doula, just breaking down to my husband and saying, you know, I just think And at this point, he was definitely getting more on board. He could see how important this was to me. And he could see that I really was trying my hardest to do this, you know, an environment that was comfortable for both of us. And I had said to him that night, you know, I think you're just going to have to be my person and you're going to have to fight for me. And I don't want to do that when I'm in labor. You know, I, these things are important to me. And so he was on board with all of that, but I just said, I just can't believe how hard it is for me to just do the things that I want to do. Anyway. So I talked to the, this doula the next day she called me and she was just so it was such a breath of fresh air. Everything that was important to me, she understood. And she said to me, you know, I teach birth classes at this birth center and I'm good friends with the owner. And she will sometimes take women this late who, you know, want a natural birth experience. And is that something you would be interested in? And at this point I thought like, yes, this would be amazing. My last hurdle is just if I can get my husband on board with with the birth center, because previous, you know, that wasn't something that he really had felt comfortable with. And so I talked to her and it was just so comforting and reassuring. And I remember my husband was at the gym at the time and I remember like being so nervous to talk to him about it just because I really wanted him to be fully on board with me because I knew it was something that we needed to do together. And so he came in and I said, look, I talked to this midwife and she's willing to get us into this birth center. And he just said, you know what? You're in a completely different place than you were a couple months ago. I trust your judgment. 
I just want to know that you're in the best hands that you can be. And so let's tour the birth center. And if everything feels good, you know, let's move forward. And I was like, okay. And so we went down that next Saturday and we toured the birth center. And that was his first experience meeting midwives. And so he had a bunch of questions for them and they just were so amazing. And he got out of that and he said, you know what, those guys know what they're doing. And I can see that they are seasoned women and they have, you know, birth, they, they know what, what birth is supposed to be. And I'm in. Do you remember some of the questions that he asked? I remember he asked about transfer rate and what constituted a transfer and what they would do if there was, you know, if the baby wasn't breathing, what they were born. I don't remember what else, but things like that. And so they, you know, explained to him that they were trained in childers, you know, newborn resuscitation, that they had oxygen there, that there was a fire station around the block, you know, that the transfers typically were from a person who just had chosen to get an epidural. And they talked about uh, the, the steps that they took to make sure that there were no, I mean, they got all of my um, surgery notes from my C-section. They had a, a ultrasound tech come in to look at my scarring to make sure that that wasn't a risk. Like they did way more than my OB had to, to make sure that I was a good candidate for a VBAC. And so that was all really, really comforting to both of us too. Well, and the thing is to be a candidate for this and to be able to be taken into a birthing center, you basically have to be low risk. Right. So they have to do their due diligence because they can't do a cesarean. They can't do, you know, that's why there's transfers. Right. Um, And then in that clarification of that, usually uh, more often than not, transfers are because of not all because something scary is happening, but because, you know, the birthing person said, you know what, I'm done. I I want an epidural or I want to go to the hospital, Um, not because there's imminent danger. Right. So he met them, talked to them, and they totally, not convinced them, but reassured him that you were in the best hands. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Like we got done with that and we, you know, we came back in the car and he said like, you know, I trust them. I can see that they really know what they're doing and and I'm in and and I felt the same way. I just, I just wa- I remember walking through the brain center and thought like this, this is what I want. This is what I've been looking for. And, and then having those appointments were so amazing for me. I just loved the way that they practiced. Um, that they would come in and they would present something to me and they would say, this is your option. Here's the literature. You make your decision and you let us know. And I just thought, oh my goodness, this is how this should be. And, you know, about everything from vitamin K to ointment to strep B to, I mean, all of the things that are typically, you know, this is what we're doing. This is how it is. And it, it, I got to make all of those decisions for me and my baby. And I just loved that. And I'd really appreciate how that sets you up for parenting because you're going to have to make all these hard decisions for your baby once they're out (laughs) from now on, like for many years. Yeah. (laughs) Forever. Yeah. Yeah. So then you were feeling good. Your husband was feeling good. Did you end up taking any childbirth education classes or getting a doula? So we did end up using that doula, the one that had helped us get into the birthing center. And we did it ever take any child birthing classes because I felt I I mean I like ate and drank birthing <laughs> it was all I listened to it was all I read I just I was feeling really prepared at this point um so the doula did come over a couple times before and showed my husband you know different techniques that he could help me during labor to get more comfortable 
Um, and that was really great, but we didn't ever go any to any like actual classes. You curated your own childbirth I classes. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So then come to birth to the birth, how did that start? So um I was 41 weeks pregnant by the time I finally went into labor. Um, but I will say something. So everybody was saying to me like, Oh, it's your fourth baby. You're going to go to labor early. Like don't even plan on going full, not the midwives, obviously, but just like friends and family. And so I started to kind of get that in my head and, you know, midwives have a completely different approach, which is the baby will come when they're ready. And, you know, due dates are an estimate and don't worry about that and don't get hung up on that date. And so I went in like a week before my due date and I asked that she checked me and I asked her to check me and she said, you know, you're, you're dilated two centimeters, but baby's still up pretty, pretty high. It'll probably be at least a week or so. Came back a week later. She told me the same thing. And, but in my brain, because I had all this noise about like, you're going to have a baby any day. And I was telling myself that I just like, wasn't even, I just was doing everything I could to try to put myself into labor. And when I went back that second time and she said, like, you still have a few days, I decided to make just the mental change. I decided to tell myself, it was like 40 weeks in a couple of days when I went, I decided to tell myself mentally that I was 39 weeks. And it, it made such a difference for me when I said I was 39 weeks, all of a sudden, all of that noise in my head about like, I have to go into labor, I'm going to go to labor in a second, or I need to push myself into labor. I just was able to just relax and say like, well, I'm not going to labor anyway, so I'm not going to think about it. And it's funny that just telling myself that it really made it, made it, I was able to just calm down and kind of enjoy those last couple of days rather than obsess about, you know, when I was going to go into labor. Oh, I love that. I love that concept. <laughs> That's fantastic. That is perfect. Is it okay if I use that with people from now on? Yes. 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 I I've told it. people that since I'm like, just tell yourself you're not even going to labor. And it's just, um, it's so funny. As soon as you say that, you're just like, oh, well, then I'm not going to worry about it. And, and, be, and also you're quieting down the thinking brain, which is not helping because it's not letting the oxytocin flow. Like it, it actually, right. isn't, if you, it's so important to calm that brain, to get into that relaxation state. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Okay. So then anyway, I was 41 weeks on the dot. Um, and that night about, I want to say like 2.30 in the morning is I started having contractions. And my doula had said to me, as soon as you feel anything, call me because I didn't have so much as a Braxton Hicks. Like I am not a false labor person with any of my babies. And so like with my first, my first contraction led to labor. Like, and so she said to me, like, as soon as you feel anything, you know, let me know. Cause it's probably going to be the real deal. And so I, I started contracting that night and I wanted to sleep through as much as I could, but by about six thirty that morning, they were strong right from the get go. And they were strong with all my babies right from the get-go. I didn't really have any like little baby contractions. Like they, I just, I don't know. Um, and so by 6.30, they were uncomfortable enough that I got up and I, and I remember that was such a special time. Nobody was awake yet. Everybody was asleep. And I came downstairs and I had made this birthing mix of just like playlists of songs that I just love. And I turned it on and I made myself some eggs and toast. And I just sat down and kind of started to mentally prepare for what was to come. And I called my deal and let her know and let my mom know. Cause she was actually out of state and let my mother-in-law know. Cause she was going to come up and be with our boys while I labored. Um, and then I let my husband know about an hour later and as everybody started to wake up. And so that day he had a couple of meetings in the morning and then he said, let me do these. And then I'll, you know, 
I can focus for the rest of the day. And so he did that. And I just kind of was with my boys and cleaning the house and I was having contractions, but they were, they were really irregular. I was timing them on an app, but they would come every 20 minutes, every 40 minutes, every seven, like they were all over the map. And anytime I started to rest, they would really slow down. And so about, I'm going to say 10 or 11, my mother-in-law got here and my husband and I went for a walk to try to get things going. And while I was walking, my contractions were really consistent and they were really strong. So they were about every seven, eight minutes apart. And it was really uncomfortable for me to walk. I was like, my back was spasming and I just was so uncomfortable. And so we walked for about a half an hour. For, oh, and I had to go to the bathroom like every five minutes. And so I, we walked for about 45 minutes and then we came back and I checked in with my doula and I said, maybe I should keep walking. And she said, just give yourself a rest. You don't want to wear yourself out before, you know, you're in active labor. And so I did, I rested, my husband and I rested for a while. We watched some TV together, laid down. My son came home from school. We went for another walk and I went over, we have a, a, like a community clubhouse. I went over and walked on the treadmill for a while. And again, my contractions would pick right back up and they would be about every six or seven minutes. But as soon as I stopped walking, they would slow back down. And so at this point it was like around 4.30 or 5.00. And I called the doula and I said, maybe I should just go to the birthing center because I was worried about traffic. We're about 20 minutes away from the birthing center. And I said, maybe I should just go and hang out around there so that if things happen, I'm not having to like get stuck in traffic or whatever. And she said, you know, honestly, you're probably still pretty far out. So why don't you wait a little bit longer? And I thought, okay. And so about, and so just inconsistent, inconsistent until about seven. And at that point, my mother-in-law said, I'm going to put the boys to bed. Why don't you just go into your room and you guys just focus. And so, you know, my husband said, do you want to just relax? Do you want to watch something? Take your mind off it. And I said, at that point, I said, I think I just want to really start to embrace this, if that makes sense. Um, So I felt like all day long, whenever a contraction came, I had been kind of getting into the best position to not feel, I was definitely breathing through it and staying calm, but I was trying to like be in a position where I couldn't feel it as much or trying to like avoid pain rather than it just kind of letting it come into me. And so at that point we turned off the lights and I turned on my hypnobirthing tracks that I had been listening to since 30 weeks. I had gone to sleep every night listening to them and I turned them on and I turned on the rainbow visualization and I was on my birthing ball. And for the first time all day, I just, the contraction would come and I would just totally relax my body into it. And I would have my husband behind me and I would lean back on him and he would press on my hips and I would just like breathe through him. And I felt like because I was in such a calm focused place, my labor started to really ramp up at that point. And you mentioned WAPIO earlier. And first of all, I love this concept of instead of resisting going into it and exploring it, that is huge for labor to continue. Like you have to go, if you're resisting, then you're resisting. You got to go through it. But Wapia also talks about in the holistic stages of birth of how kind of an early labor, it's about a mountain. And the beginning of it is you're at the base of the mountain and kind of like, am I going to climb it or not? And trying to get into that place where you're going to be all in of making that decision of, okay, I'm going to climb. And maybe you start and go like, oh, no, I'll come back. And, you know, that that sort of psyching yourself up to go, all right, let's do this mountain. And that just, remi- you're, you talking just reminded me of that. 
Yeah, no, it's so true. And it wasn't even like that. I was, I was scared. I just was unfocused. I was saying, here are my kids. I was, you know, like I just was kind of like trying to do both. And at a certain point after that long, I just was like, okay, I need to just do this. Like, I just need to focus and like, let my body know I'm in, you know, I'm, I'm ready for this. And so I did, and I just would put that on repeat and the contractions were getting really intense at this point. And I had been able to breathe through them, but at this point, so it was around 8.30, so it started about 7. Um, around 8.30, I started to vocalize through my contractions, and I found that really helpful because um, they were really long, but still inconsistent. My husband was timing them, and they averaged about every eight minutes, but per in-between, it would be every 15 minutes, every five minutes, every... like They just were never getting super close together and never super consistent. And so... About 9.30, I called my doula and my midwife called and she listened to me through a contraction and she said, you know, they sound like they're effective, but you probably still have a little bit. And I asked my doula at that point, because she kept saying all day, do you want me to come over? And I was like, no, it's fine. I think we have time. And so at around 9.30, I, she called and checked in again. And I said, you know, maybe you should come just because, you know, I think it'd be nice for you to be here to help my husband kind of give him ideas of, of ways to help me or whatever. And so she said, great, I'm on my way. And right around probably 9, 30, 10, I felt this shift in the contractions and they started to go into my back and I started to get really, really bad back labor. And I remember being on my hands and knees and for about 10 minutes, the thought started going through my head. Like, I can't do this. This is too much. This is too hard. I can't. Cause I thought I still had hours. I thought, I, d- I had no idea what I was dilated to, right? Because I didn't have anyone checking me. But I started to think this is too much. And my brain started just to offer me all these ideas of like, just leave, just leave, just leave, just go to a hospital, just get a federal, just get out of this. And I thought that for about 10 minutes before I finally said out loud to my husband, like, I'm done. Like, let's go. And my husband was like, what? Because <laughs> I think for him, it just came out of the blue. And so in hindsight, I know now that I was in transition during that time. I didn't think that it was possible for me to be in transition because of how inconsistent my labor had been. But now that I, you know, when I think about it, like everything that I had read and learned about transition was like, this is the time when kind of the primal brain starts to take over and your logical brain doesn't keep up and it just wants a way out. And if I would have been you know, in a state to really think about it logically, I could have seen that like, oh, this is definitely what was happening. And at one point I thought maybe I'm in transition, but then I thought, no, there's no way I can't be. It's too soon. Yeah. And that is such a common internal debate at that point. I find especially with not first time birthy people, but, you know, ones that have gone through it before that you're like, no, this can't be it yet. Yeah. And so I... And so my point, I just really started to kind of lose a little bit at that point. I wasn't really thinking super logically. And so I just knew that I wanted out of this. And so I remember leaning over my vanity. And at this point, he texted the doula and said, like, are you close? You know, she's kind of starting to lose her cool. And I remember I just wanted to get in the shower and I wanted him to get in the shower with me. And he was saying like, well, let's wait till the doula gets here. So we're not just in the shower when she gets here. Let's see what she wants to do. And he was trying to keep me calm. And He was so amazing through the whole thing, but I really started to go inside my head at this point, but I didn't know what was happening. Like I really, in my head thought I still have hours of this. And I just thought I was starting to get into active labor 
And so the doula got there and I, right when she got there, another really strong contraction came and I bent over the side of my bed, um, kneeling down, like almost in a prayer position. And I just was leaning against the bed and she was trying to talk me through it. And she was really calm. And I just knew mentally, like I'm past that. Like I'm past the point of, of just kind of getting through these in silence. Like I'm, I'm in it. Like it started to like fully consuming, not in a scary way, but in just like a, this is taking over every ounce I have. I, it's taking everything I have to just focus on this. So she started asking a lot of questions and I didn't want to talk. I just wanted to focus. And about 10 minutes after she got there, I said, not even realizing what I was saying, but I said, I think I need a push. And I'll never forget because she's thinking she's coming into this, you know, early-ish, maybe starting active labor stage. And so she's not, there's nothing inside of her that's thinking that I'm even close to ready to push. The midwives, you know, are on their way to the birth center. And so I said, I'm, I'm, I need to push. And she said, oh, no, 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 not here. Like, we need to go to the birth center. And so her and my husband started trying to talk me into going to the birth center. But it was so funny. When I got to that state, my brain, it just made total sense that I was going to have that baby at home. Like, I didn't question it. It didn't scare me. I just thought, like, this is what's happening. So I said to her, can I just have a baby at home? And she was like, oh, well, you know, the birth, the medics are coming to, to the birth center. And, but she was, she was very supportive of me. She just, I, I think she just like was a little bit in shock. Like she didn't know what, you know, what to do. And if I was really as far along as I was saying that I was. And so I said, I'm not moving. And at that point she said like, okay, we're doing this. Oh, I guess what, what really convinced her that that's what was happening was that my water broke right around that time. And as soon as my water broke, I could feel the baby crowning. So, and I think at that point she could see the baby crowning. And so all of this, keep in mind, like, you know, seven o'clock, I'm like, think I'm barely, my contractions are 20 minutes apart. And this is two hours later, three hours later. And I'm already to that point. So at that point, she said to my husband, like, you know, you need to get tarps, you need to get a bowl, you need to get, cause we were not obviously set up at all for a home birth. And so she started asking him to get all the supplies and she called the midwives and said, look, we're, you know, we're doing a home birth. So they, they were, all of them were en route to the birth center. So they just drove up to our house, which is about 20 minutes farther from the birth center. And I, at this way, I am like, like I said, I am not talking. I am not, I'm pretty unaware of what's going on. And I guess when my water broke was when I was like, oh, okay, this is really happening. I think that's when like my brain started to catch up with my body. I'm like, oh my gosh. And probably 10 minutes after my water broke, maybe 15, it's hard to know what the times were. But very soon after that, I started to feel this incredible urge to push. And I remember when I was preparing for this birth of watching videos of people, they talking about like, is it the fetal ejection response? Is that what it's called? Reflex. Yeah. Yeah. Reflex. The fetal ejection reflex. And I remember watching some videos of women, like of them really feeling that. I know that it's not something that every woman feels, but I remember reading about that and and watching that. And that is exactly what happened with with my birth. It was so crazy to have that experience because I essentially was just along for the ride. Like my body was going to push the baby out and I all I had to do was just let it. 
And so I started making those really guttural noises and pushing, you know, with all of my body so strong. And what was really interesting to me about that and what my husband said later too, he said that the thing that was most surprising to me was that you would have a contraction and your whole body would just be bearing down and you would make these like animalistic noises and then the contraction would stop and I would be so, I would be completely pain-free in between those contractions. And so I would lay down on the bed and I would be almost asleep in between the contractions. And I thought that was so, I was not expecting that. And so I would rest and then another contraction would come and I would push. And during this time, I remember thinking like, this is, this is doable. Like this is okay. Like I didn't think that pushing was terribly painful. I just was, like I said, I just was along for the ride and it, that experience of feeling your baby go through the birth canal. It's incredible. And it's, it's so hard to explain. And it's so foreign from anything you've ever felt before. And so I could feel her coming out. And then I remember very distinctly feeling during a fire and I'm thinking like, Oh, this is what people have talked about. Cause it was a very distinct feeling, but still not unbearable. Like it was okay. And so I would push and this is all, you know, I heard this after the fact, cause I really didn't know how far, you know, out she was or what was going on, but what would happen is while she was crowning, she had a, a little nuchal hand. She had a little hand up by her, her head that was preventing the head from being born. And so about three or four pushes in my midwife said to me, you need to put your leg up. And I wasn't listening to what anybody was telling me to do. <laughs> I just was doing whatever I felt like my body needed to do. But um, so I wasn't a very good listener and all this. But anyway, as eventually she just lifted my leg up for me during a contraction. And I actually tore because of that hand during that next contraction. And so I, I remember like kind of screaming during that time, but then her head was born. And then I, I didn't realize that that was, is what was keeping, you know, my body was trying so hard to push her out, but that was keeping her from being able to come out. And so once she moved my leg, it was in the perfect position that she could then come out. And then with the next contraction, the body was born. And so she came out and she, you know, I don't even, that's funny now that I'm thinking about it. They must've caught her and put her on the ground. Cause I didn't catch her. Um, but it was right on my rug, right? I didn't move from that spot that I talked about being like in that kneeling position on my bed. I didn't move from that spot until she was born. And then right after she was born, it took a couple more contractions for my placenta to be born. And that's when I felt like I could really relax. The contractions stopped and I could really just enjoy this baby. But it really took a second right after she was born. It took a second for my brain to catch up with my body. I just, it all happened so fast. It was so different than I ever expected. I was expecting out of birth center. I wanted to do a water birth and all of a sudden she just was there and she was born on my floor. And it was, it was so, it was so crazy, but it was also so perfect. Oh, that's such a good story. <laughs> like that, the, the unexpected as you're talking, I can see it. I can visualize it. I can like all the things and, and how people are going around doing things around you and you're just, I am birthing or I'm out of the way. Body's yeah. birthing. Oh. Yeah. So you were hands and knees when she was born. What? How did the midwife lift your leg? Like off to the side? I, that's the part that I'm not uh, Just Yeah. So I was kneeling down. My elbows were up on the bed. And then she just, so it was my right leg. She just, I was kneeling and she just pulled my leg out to the side and up, I think. 
Got I it. think she pulled it up like a dog. Okay. Yeah. yeah, no, and I'm thinking like that most likely your contractions were so irregular throughout because there was the hand in the way, that nuchal hand yeah. not putting even pressure on the cervix. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And you know what's so funny is like right before I went to labor, literally the day before I was listening to one of your podcasts, you have one about somebody who had a nuchal hand and it made her labor really irregular and really long. And I was thinking like, oh, I just hope that doesn't happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Careful what you wish for. <laughs> I know, but of course. But it was like, I'm grateful that it really did move along. I mean, it was irregular, but once that happened, it really did move. So what's crazy is that I never, I don't know at what point I was what, you know, at what point I was dilated to 10. I don't know how fast I dilated. Like, I don't know anything about that because I d- nobody was there until the last hour before she was born. Your body doesn't care. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't care. It doesn't care. You're right. But bodies focus on having a baby, not getting to 10, not getting it. Right. Yeah. Not linear. Oh, I love it. You had mentioned though, when you contacted me that there was something about your tablecloth being involved. Oh yeah, there was. My my husband took the literally because they wanted a vinyl. They wanted something that was like waterproof. So he literally took the tablecloth off of our table. And that's what I pushed on. Like that's what the baby came out on was our tablecloth. (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing was like something out of a movie. It really was because he was running around. My mother-in-law was running around. One of the midwives didn't even make it. Like two of them got there, but the last one got there after she was already born. But the thing I loved so much about it was how in the midst of all of that, the calm that there was, there was no, yes, there was running around to get ready for the baby, but it was in hushed tones. The lights were off. There was music on. And during, you know, when I was pushing, everyone just watched and they just let my body do what it needed to do. And after she was born, it just was so calm and so serene. And that was so amazing and so different from the hospital birthing experiences that I had had. And so after she was born, they got me and her up on the bed. She immediately latched like within 10 minutes after she was being born and stayed there for like 30 minutes. And they took the placenta and they put it in a baggie by me so that she could, you know, keep the cord attached for a little bit longer. And everybody just watched and they just, it just was so, it was so incredible. And my mom had gotten the only flight that was available that day was at like 1130 that night. And so she was able to get there about 20 minutes after she was born. So she got to see, you know, her cord being cut and her being weighed and like the newborn assessment and which was really neat. And I just, I loved that part of it. That was so incredible. of just laying in my bed with my husband, with my family, with my baby, and everyone's just happy and everybody's calm and everybody, it just was so beautiful. And you didn't have to go anywhere. And I didn't have to go anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because it's hard to figure out when to leave, when not to leave, and having to leave. Like, that in itself, we don't think about it, but that in itself is an intervention to the physiology of birth. Uh, You mean if you're at a birth center? If you're you're not giving birth at home, at some point you're going to have to leave and have, even though you gave birth at home, you were still, you know, the doula, your husband, everybody was trying to figure out when do we go? When do we go? When right. is it time to go? And that is something that, you know, it's a, it, it takes up brain space. And I'm not saying that we should all do home births. You know, yeah. I'm saying you need to give birth wherever you feel safe. And, and hospitals can be a perfectly good place to have birth. And I've had wonderful births at hospitals. But understand that that is 
you know, having to go somewhere is an inter it's a physiological intervention. Definitely. And I, it's funny, you know, like uh, all of this, like coming full circle with my husband, going from like feeling very uncomfortable about the whole thing to being on board with the birthing center to then having a home birth. Um, it was so neat for me to, you know, after all of that, have that conversation with him and saying like, cause he just took it all in stride and he was in it and he was awesome. And after the fact, I said like, you know, if, if you were to do it again, would you have done it in a birthing center or would you personally have chosen to do it at home? And he said just what we are saying right now, what not having, you know, being able to go to bed in our own bed and like having that all happen in our home was a really cool thing. And he said, like, I think between the two, I would choose a home birth, which coming from him, like, and that's what I always say when I talk to my friends, I'm like, if he can be converted, anybody <laughs> can be converted, you know, like it really, it really can happen for anybody. I feel like sometimes there's kind of this stigma of like, there's a certain kind of a person that would do a home birth. But I don't necessarily think that that needs to be the case. No, and I think you need to be prepared. You need to take charge of your birth in terms of like, not in a combative way, but understand that you're the person doing the birthing. So show up, be yeah. responsible for this experience you're going through. And then you can be more in tune of what this you know, experience requires of you. And if it's a, you know, scheduled C-section, then that's, that's what it is for you. I just right. want people to take charge so that they have the experience that they want and can parent from that place rather than parenting from fear or trauma or feel that things were done, you know, birth happened to them instead of that they made choices. Yeah, no. And I think that's so true. And honestly, had I done that from the beginning with my first, you know, three births, I think that all of those experiences would have been very different. I'm glad you had the fourth one, though. <laughs> I am so glad. <laughs> I really am so glad. You know, yeah, how earlier on, I can't remember if it was the first experience, second experience, second experience, you said it was fine, but I felt like something like I was missing out on something, but I didn't know what it was. Do you feel you found what it was? Oh my gosh. Yes. hundred percent. hundred percent. And I would not, and you're right. Had I not had her, I really feel like it was a real gift to me. Um, because I would, those would have been my experiences. And like you said, they would have been fine and very typical. And I got out of them. My babies were fine and healthy and I was okay. And it was all fine. But that really, for me, took it to this next level of something that I had been searching for unconsciously that I hadn't even realized that I'd been searching for. And so I am so grateful that I had that that last opportunity and to do it in such a really special way. Is there anything you want to make sure that the listeners hear before we close? Just if it's something that you're thinking about, if it's something that the idea intrigues you, but it's still scary, I guess just know that that's so normal and that you don't have to be in a place where you have no fear before you make the decision. Like that's part of the journey. And I really, truly feel like if I can do it, anybody can do it. I, I think that there is this feeling of like, I don't know, you have to possess some sort of something to be able to go through with an unmedicated birth. But I really think that it's in all of us if we want it, if we choose that. And if that's something that's important to us, because it's not important to everybody and that's totally fine. But if it's something that is important to you and it, it intrigues you, I would really encourage you to just look into it and start the process of being comfortable with it. And just, I guess, understanding that it is a process um, and that's totally okay. 
And that if you choose that direction, that it really can be a transformative experience. And also just to listen to your intuition and understand that there may be a lot of noise around it, but that ultimately you're the one making those decisions and, and that what you choose for you, that's all that matters is that you feel good about that decision. I love it. Thank you so very much for sharing your stories today. I loved hearing them. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. That was Mariah Robinson, who is a mother of four and the creator of Cover Me Poncho's Nursing Covers. You can connect with us on Instagram at Birthful Podcast. And in fact, if you're not driving, we would just love it if you would take a screenshot of your phone of this episode right now and post it to Instagram, sharing your biggest takeaway from the episode. Make sure to tag us at Birthful Podcast so we can see it and we can amplify it. You can find the in-depth show notes and transcript of this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about my birth and postpartum preparation classes and download your free postpartum preparation plan. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Plotty. Thank you so very much for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to follow us on Good Pods, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and anywhere you listen. And come back for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one Birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.